you've got a Bible, you might want to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul is teaching the church in Corinth how to operate in a moment of deep vulnerability and crisis. The context is he's talking about a personal struggle that he's facing. He articulates it like a thorn in the flesh that he just can't get rid of. He keeps praying to God that it would be taken from him. And he's also living with the struggle of unanswered prayer. God hasn't taken this thorn from his side. And yet God speaks into this crisis, this moment of vulnerability. The father speaks these words in verse nine. Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And in response to this revelation from the heart of the father, Paul says, therefore, in light of what you've said, God, I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So in the middle of this personal crisis, this struggle, this hardship, the voice of the Father speaks in and says, Paul, number one, my grace is sufficient for you. It is all you need for this season of struggle and challenge. I believe that's what the Father wants to say over us in this vulnerable situation we find ourselves in, where we feel frightened and isolated and uncertain about what tomorrow holds. God, we want to say, my grace, my goodness, it's sufficient for you. It's it's all you need. Now, I'm aware there's 101 different needs that we're experiencing right now. Some of us are in financial vulnerable spots, like we need some certainty around our financing, just being able to pay the rent next month. Some of us need work. We need a job for this season. Some of us need to find a delivery slot on Sainsbury's online because that's stressful. Some of us need our kids to have less energy when we're trying to homeschool them, all these different needs. And yet this was Paul's discovery underneath all of those needs. There is a strength available from God. It's like a grace that gives you all you need, not just to survive, but to thrive in a moment like this. God's grace is sufficient. It's it's all you need. This is what the early church discovered. This is what the church throughout the last 2000 years have discovered that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. When you have Jesus, you have everything you need. That's why Paul can say in the letter to the Philippians, I've experienced plenty and I've experienced lack and yet I found the key to contentment. And here it is, that God's grace is sufficient. It is all you need. And this grace isn't something just to get your head around, to intellectually understand. It's something to experience. The psalmist says, taste and see. In other words, bite it, ah, chew it, devour it, let it nourish your innermost being. He didn't say ponder and think that the Lord is good. He's like, taste it. Like we can taste the goodness of God in a moment like this and it gives us strength to face each day with all of the demands and all the other needs we experience. 
What if in a moment where so much was being stripped away and we felt vulnerable and we felt weak, what if we discovered the grace of God, the goodness of God? We began to understand more of his character and we realised his grace is actually all we need. We thought that we needed all these other things, but actually all we need is Jesus and his grace. So the father says to Paul, my grace is sufficient, but beyond just the sufficiency of my grace, you need to know that my power is made perfect in moments like this. In the message translation of Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, Jesus says you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope because with less of you, there is more of God and his rule. In other words, it's a good thing when you hit a point of vulnerability and weakness where you throw the towel in and surrender in moments of surrendering to God. When you're not trying to be in control, when you're not trying to be the saviour, but you allow God to be the saviour, that's a moment of blessing because his rule begins to break in. And that's what we long for, more of his rule in our lives. This phrase made perfect that Paul uses. It's a Greek term, telete, from the Greek verb telos. It means to complete, to end, to fulfill. It's actually the same verb that's used on the lips of Jesus at the cross where he's taking his final breath and he declares, it is finished, like game over, complete, done. In the moment of his greatest vulnerability, he's been stripped naked, flogged, beaten, spat upon, nailed to a cross. He's suffocating. He can barely breathe. He's in agony. And in that moment of deep vulnerability, a power was being released. And within three days, he would break out of the tomb and resurrection. Life would break out and the kingdom of God began to grow and be established throughout the world. At the moment of greatest vulnerability, a power was being made perfect. In our moments of deep vulnerability, of personal challenge, but in this context, nationally, globally, we're experiencing a crisis, a deep challenge. I believe God would want to say to the church and to the world, it's all right, my grace is sufficient for you in a moment like this. And more than that, my power is made perfect. It's available in a moment like this and my power changes everything. I love the story of Martin Luther King. He describes a hinge point in his own journey in the civil rights movement. It was a point of vulnerability, a point of brokenness. It was a point where he wanted to throw the towel in. The context of this story I'm about to read is that he'd experienced death threats. He'd been in and out of prison, numerous challenges he was facing. But on one night, he gets a phone call from the Ku Klux Klan, basically saying, unless you stand down, we're going to bomb your house and we're going to kill your family. And that was the moment he just felt like, I can't take it anymore. So let me read you this account. King sat staring at an untouched cup of coffee. Coffee's always key in moments like this. And tried to think of a way out, a way to quietly surrender leadership and resume the serene life of scholarship he'd planned for. In the next room lay his wife, Coretta, already asleep, along with their newborn daughter, Yolanda. Here's how King remembers it in a sermon he preached, and I'm quoting now. And I sat at that table thinking about that little girl and thinking about the fact that she could be taken away from me any minute. And I started thinking about a dedicated, devoted and loyal wife who was over there asleep. And I got to the point, I couldn't take it anymore. 
I was weak. And I discovered then that religion had to become real to me. And I had to know God for myself. And I bowed down over that cup of coffee. I'll never forget it. I prayed a prayer and I prayed out loud that night. I said, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right. I think I'm right. I think the cause we represent is right. But Lord, I must confess right now I am weak. I'm faltering. I'm losing my courage. And it seemed at that moment I could hear an inner voice saying to me, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And lo, I will be with you even until the end of the world. I heard the voice of Jesus saying still to fight on. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. No, never alone. No, never alone. He promised never to leave me alone. Three nights later, as promised, a bomb exploded on the front porch of King's home, filling the house with smoke and broken glass, but injuring no one. King took it calmly, saying my religious experience a few nights before had given me the strength to face it. This was a moment where Martin Luther King hit rock bottom, just wanted to throw the towel and thought it was over, it's finished, and then realized, no, it's not finished. Those moments are the moments when the power of God, the resurrection life begins to break out. And for Martin Luther King, he described that as a hinge point in the whole movement of the civil rights movement. An incredible moment of breakthrough. You know, a key question that emerges throughout the narrative of Scripture in the hearts of the nation of Israel is how does life come from nothing? How does life break out in the wilderness, in a place of emptiness? They often found themselves in moments of brokenness and vulnerability in the wilderness. But listen to the story of God and how it begins. This is Genesis chapter one. You'll know it well. The opening words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's like an intro to the story that follows. But then listen to the actual beginning of the story, which is verse two. It says, now the earth was formless and empty. The Hebrew word there, formless and empty, is tohu wabohu. Elsewhere in scripture, it's translated as the desert, the wilderness, a place of nothingness, lifelessness. And yet from that place of nothingness, God creates. Suddenly there's light, the sun, the moon, the stars. And then there's the waters above and the waters below. And then there's the oceans and the dry land and vegetation and the animal kingdom and humanity made in the image and likeness of God. All of that from nothing. Something came from nothing. More than that, something beautiful came from nothing because God stepped in. Now, fast forward the clock then. The nation of Israel find themselves in the desert once more, the Tohu Abohu. They're journeying towards the promised land, but before they get to the land of abundance, the land flowing with milk and honey, they find themselves in the place of nothingness, where life doesn't really exist, place of weakness, vulnerability, where everything's being stripped back. In fact, before they inhabit the promised land, before they take Jericho, the fighting men are circumcised. They go into battle having just been circumcised like at their weakest point because God is trying to make the point again and again his power is made perfect in weakness when we're at the end of our rope there's a blessing there because that's when his rule breaks in 
fast forward to the New Testament. The backdrop to the New Testament is the nation of Israel are struggling. They've been in exile in Babylon. They return to Jerusalem, but they're in a state of semi-exile where the Romans are ruling over them. Their temple system has become corrupt. They haven't had a prophet speak to them in over 400 years. They used to walk and talk with God in the cool of the day. They used to have a steady stream of prophets, but there's been nothing for 400 years. This is a moment of brokenness and vulnerability. And then a prophet emerges after 400 years. And where does he emerge from? I can hear you shout out. Where does he emerge from? Um, That went very high. Emerges from the desert from the Tohu Wabohu. And and what was John the Baptist's message? It was, get ready guys, like prepare the way, the king is coming and he's gonna establish the kingdom of God. And then Jesus breaks onto the scene and he heals the sick, he raises the dead, he casts out demons, he proclaims the good news of the, the kingdom, he draws the lowly into families and the people say of Jesus, like we were walking in the land of the shadow of death and now we've seen a great light. He is our source of hope. This changes everything. And when Jesus begins to explain his ministry of signs and wonders and healings, he actually quotes from Isaiah chapter 35. Let me read it briefly to you. This is about life breaking out. Where from? Yes, the wilderness, the Tohu Wabohu. Says the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The prophet goes on, strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way, say to those with fearful hearts. That's us right now, yeah? Be strong. Do not fear, your God will come and he will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. What's going to happen? Water will gush forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In other words, this place of nothingness, emptiness, lifelessness, abundant life is going to break out in the most unexpected place. That was Martin Luther King's experience, right? At the moment of rock bottom, wanting to throw the towel in and life broke out in the most unexpected place. This was Paul's experience. I'm wrestling with this thorn in my flesh. I just can't get rid of it. This challenge, this crisis. And yet God speaks and says like, no, my grace is sufficient for moments like this. When everything gets stripped away, you might discover more of my goodness and my character. And more than that, my power is made perfect in moments like this. You think you've hit the end of the road. You think it is finished. What you don't realize is resurrection. Life is available and it will break out in your midst. Now, we're at a moment where individually, locally, nationally, globally, we all feel the vulnerability. We're experiencing higher levels of anxiety, higher levels of uncertainty, feeling lonely and disconnected. All these emotions, it's so much to process. It feels like a storm within and every so often it erupts as we have our mini moments of meltdown. And yet I believe the voice of God is speaking to us 
saying like, my grace is sufficient in moments like this. You can find me. I am with you in moments like this. And more than just the sufficiency of my grace, I want you to understand and experience my power is available and my power changes everything. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the grave. It is living in you. It changes everything. So I want to land by just creating some space for us to open ourselves to an experience of the grace of God and that we might be empowered to be part of God's plans for this season. So why don't we stand and we're just going to do what we always do at KXE, create some space for us to receive the breath of God, the spirit of God. So I encourage you, whether you're in your living room or in your lounge, to stand up, to hold your hands out in a simple posture of receiving. Maybe close your eyes. As I said last week, you're going to feel like a total moron, but that feeling will fade as you begin to experience God's peace and his presence. So Holy Spirit, would you come? We want to experience grace. We want to be clothed with power from on high. This experience feels like a wilderness experience and Lord, we ask that water would gush forth in this moment, that life would break out in the nothingness. Come and visit us with your kingdom, Holy Spirit.